Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Hopefully we're doing well. My name's Matt Garrison. I'm one of the pastors here. Also want to say welcome to those of you joining us online. We're always glad to have you here as well. Well, we're continuing our series, Love is Greater. And today we're going to talk about a topic or a subject that hits each and every one of us. I guarantee you, you've had this happen to you in your past, and I can guarantee you that we're going to be, it's going to be happening to us in our future. And that is the subject or topic of failure. Now, we were talking uh, in our staff huddle that today's message was going to be on failure. One of our staff members, when they found out this was the topic and then found out that I would be the one talking about this, looked over at me and said, we've got the perfect person for this message. All right, now, the audacity, right? How would somebody say that? So I'm gonna give you their initials. So that way, if you figure it out, you can say something to them. The initials are Josh Willits. All right, so if you want to say something to him, but maybe after you're, maybe don't say anything because you might agree with him. Just tease him. Let's go. All right, so let's jump into this. Billy is a junior in high school. He's been dating Carrie for about six months. They find themselves at their high school ministry's winter retreat. And so it's there that Billy decides this is the perfect time and the perfect place to tell Carrie that he wants to break up with her. Okay, some gasps, nice. All right, so exactly, like how could you do that? So Billy has rehearsed it. Billy is saying, you know, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna tell her that, you know, how, what should I really say? He's like, I got it. I am going to play the proverbial God card. Now, the God card essentially is saying, it's not God's will that we should be together. And you play this card when essentially you don't really want anybody to argue with you right? Because who's going to argue against God, right? Well, I don't think it's God's will that this happens, right? So Billy sits down, he's rehearsed this. So he says, Carrie, it's time we're going to break up. You know, it's just not God's will that we need to be together, right? Again, who is going to argue with God? Apparently Carrie, because she says, I'm not buying that. No, what's the real reason? Billy's taken aback, like, what? Seriously? All right, uh, and so he's thinking, what else is he gonna say? But he's on a winter retreat. Like he's supposed to be drawing closer to Jesus. He doesn't wanna lie. So he says, all right, I'm bringing up with you because I like somebody else, right? So Billy thought the conversation's over, gets ready to stand up. Again, Carrie was not gonna be denied. She throws another question at him he's not expecting. Who? Seriously, who? Like, again, he's taken aback. It's like, I have, I'm not expecting any of this. And so he, again, thinks, I'm on a winter retreat. I want to draw close to Jesus. I don't want to lie. He could have said, nunya, nunya business. Some of you got where I'm going, right? Like, nunya business. You don't need to know that. But again, he doesn't even want to go that direction. He wants to be pure or honest before the Lord. So he says, Cheryl, no big deal, right? because Carrie and Billy didn't go to the same school. However, Carrie and Cheryl were best friends. More gas, this is awesome. How dare Billy, how dare Billy, right? So here's the thing, Cheryl had no idea that Billy liked him. And so 
Some of you might be thinking right now, Matt, you know a lot about this Billy guy, like in this whole situation. Were you Billy? Yes. This is a story from, of my life. Like I actually did this on a winter retreat. Like this was an epic failure, right? And so here's the thing, what happened is if you're wondering, never, nothing ever materialized with Cheryl. I created this ginormous kind of awkward situation amongst themselves, right? And actually they both hated my guts for some time. I mean, rightly so. And so again, today we're talking about failure. And this, again, that story is just one of seemingly millions that I have. And so every time I come up here, I, I have failure stories to share. And here's the cool thing. I never seem to run out of content, right? It just happens all the time. But here's the thing. I know I'm not alone. We all fail. Have you ever felt like a failure? Maybe as a parent, a caregiver, a grandparent, a spouse. Maybe you didn't make the team. Maybe you didn't land the dream job. Maybe you've made a bad business decision, or maybe you thought you'd be further ahead with your finances at this point in your life, but that hasn't gone your way as well. Maybe you feel like a failure there. Or maybe the relationship that you thought, as I did with Cheryl, like was gonna be this amazing thing, it ended in disaster. Again, we all deal with failure. What do we do when failure hits us? How do we respond to it? Do we listen to the voices in our heads when we fail that tell us this is who you are? You are a failure. This is all you're ever going to be. And do we begin to listen to them to where when we think we need to try something new, that voice comes back and we say, no, I can't. Because the last time I tried something new, I failed. So I can't do that. Or do we just essentially give up? Listening to the voice in our head, agreeing with it, thinking that we will never amount to anything because I am a failure. Is there another way that we can look at failure? And does God say anything about this in his word to us? Can he help us? Let's find out. If you have a Bible or Bible app, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. It's the first book of the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew 14. And today we're gonna to talk about a person that followed Jesus. There's these 12 guys, these disciples that followed Jesus in his public ministry. And we're gonna look at this one in particular, his name's Peter. He's kind of like next to Jesus. He's kind of the ringleader of this group. And we're gonna look at three episodes where Peter failed. And one of them was pretty, a pretty epic failure. And we're gonna see how Jesus responded to him. And we're gonna see how Jesus responds to us in our failures. And so the first episode here is the boat. The boat, found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 24 and 33. And it says this, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. About th uh, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. I lost my place, let me go back. After sending, immediately, there it is. After sending them home, he went up to, into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cry out, it's a ghost. But Jesus said to them at once, 
Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. When he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When, he climbed, when they both climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So here's what's happening. These guys just had a very long day of ministry. They just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. So Jesus tells the guys, hey, these disciples, get into the boat, go to the other side of the lake, I'll catch up with you. I'm gonna dismiss the people. So they get in the boat, they start rowing across the lake. Jesus dismisses the people. Then he goes to a mountain on top of the hills here to pray. He needed time with his father. And so as custom here, as they're rowing, sometimes in the Sea of Galilee, sometimes just wind just starts to pick up, just kind of like yesterday here. It was just crazy windy. Heavy waves, lots of strong wind. These are experienced fishermen. They've been on the sea many times before. And so again, they're exhausted physically. They've had a long day. They're exhausted emotionally, mentally. And here they go, they're, they're rowing. And so at three in the morning, they notice somebody walking on the water towards them. These guys have never seen anybody walking on water before. And so in their mind, they, only, they come to the conclusion that this must be a ghost. And so they're freaking out. I think most of us would probably be freaking out if we're kind of rowing and there's somebody walking on water towards us. And so Peter, we don't know why, if he was really just this emotionally or mentally drained physically, thought it would be a good idea to ask this who they thought ghost, like, hey, if you really are Jesus, tell me to come on the water to you. Now, if I had been there, I'd have been like, Peter, what are you doing? Like, we, he says he's Jesus, but we've never seen anybody walk on water. And we're saying, he's, what if it's a ghost? Do ghosts mess with people, right? Like, what if he's just messing with you? Like, yeah, come on, jump. And if you get, again, that's waves are crashing. You go over the side, you're going down. What are you doing? But he has faith. It's like, he says he's Jesus. He said to take courage, it's him. I'm going. And that's what he does. And what's crazy is that as his eyes are focused on Jesus, he's walking on water. So you have Jesus standing, waves crashing. You have Peter walking to him. And as I picture, as I read here, I'm thinking to myself, like, I wonder if it was like a big gust, maybe some water kind of splashed up and hit him in the face because all of a sudden he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He begins to look at the wind and the waves, thinking to himself, people don't walk on water. And he begins to doubt. I think one of the things is if we've read this passage before, we skip over this part. It says, Peter began to sink. I don't know about you, but the moment like right now, if I'm on a boat and I just step off, shoo, I'm straight down. Would Peter really, if he wasn't beginning to slowly sink, have time to even say, Lord, save me. I'm thinking if I step off that boat, I'm like, Lord, sit, and I'm, I'm under, right? So he's starting to sink and he's freaking out as well. And he just looks up and says, the only thing that comes to his mind, 
Lord, save me. What a great prayer, right? And Jesus immediately reaches down and grabs him and brings him up. And he says, why did you doubt me? Why did you have so little faith? See, Peter's failure happened when he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he took his eyes off his circumstances and on himself. And so many times that happens to us. Some of the reasons we fail is that we stop to focus on Jesus. We put our eyes on ourselves with our wants, our desires, and our timing. That's when failure can occur. Andrea, my wife and I had been married a few months. I was working at this organization uh, before we got married and then kind of shortly thereafter. And things started picking up. I mean, we got busy, slammed with things, and they kept adding more and more responsibilities to us, all the while saying, hey, we understand what you're doing. You guys are doing a wonderful job. We're loading you down with things, raises, compensation, things like that. They're, they're coming, all right? Just be patient with us. And so it was, again, it seemed like week after week after week, the carrot was dangling in front of us. Finally, I'd had enough. So I sent an email, not to my boss, not to my boss's boss, but to the department head, which would be my boss's boss's boss. We're going to get some stuff done, right? But I don't just kind of vent. I just also say, here's my two weeks resignation. So I get called into the boss's boss's boss office, right? And so I sit down and they say, hey, we're going to accept your resignation. I'm like, of course you are. Like, I'm in the wrong here. You got, or I'm in the right. You are in the wrong. Like, this is going to happen. You need to know this. And so I'll never forget it. I have that conversation I go back, I'm kind of sauntering, kind of like, I showed them. And I sit down at my desk and I'm smacked with reality. I have a wife now. What did I just do? I have nothing lined up. I have two weeks of income and then nothing. Freaking out, I cry out to the Lord. Like I literally, I got physically sick. I look over to one of our, my coworkers, I'm like, I need to go. I think I'm going to be sick. Can you cover? I'm gone rest of the day. Yeah, I got it. Because we had talked, he knew what happened. I literally had to leave. I'm like, I failed. Like, what? I was, why did I fail? Because I was thinking of myself. I wasn't thinking of my eyes focused on Jesus. I didn't even pray about it. I didn't even talk to my wife about it. It was just, I'm doing this. Boom, failure, Right? Now, we don't have time to go into it, but the Lord did rescue me out of us. He provided me some odd jobs until I found some stable income after that, and he took care of us. Let's look at the second episode. Second episode of Peter here is the reprimand or the scalding. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. So if you're following along, you just turn over a page or two or scroll up just a little bit. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and 30 through 23, excuse me. It says this, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, that he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. All right, so there was a point in Jesus's public ministry where he began to tell these 12 disciples very plainly what really was going to happen with the Messiah, what the plan, what the will of God is. And so when he does this, Peter takes him aside in verse 22 and begins to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, that this should ever happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. 
Now, Peter's literal response right here, essentially, like, heaven forbid that that should ever happen. He's kind of, he, this is a strong rebuke that Peter is giving Jesus. And he says this, it's literally like, may God be merciful to you for saying such things, Jesus. Almost like claiming that Jesus was being blasphemous. I mean, it's a strong rebuke. And when Jesus tells Peter, his response is, is kind of equally as powerful. He says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus isn't telling or, or kind of alluding that actually Peter has been possessed or Satan entered into Peter. He's saying, Peter, the way you're thinking right now is really satanic because our enemy, Satan, wants to do the opposite of what God wants. This is reminiscent of Matthew chapter four, where Jesus is tempted by our enemy himself. And Satan takes Jesus up on a high hill and he shows him the kingdoms of the world and their glory and their splendor. And he says, look, I'll give you all of this. This is what you want, Jesus. All of this right here. This is what you want. This is why you are here. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Meaning you get what you want, Jesus, but also guess what? There's no cross. There's no pain. There's no suffering. Just worship me. And by God's grace, Jesus chose to do the will of the Father. And he says, no. Scripture says to worship God only. He didn't give in to that temptation because he saw things and wanted to do what God wanted, what the will of the Father was. And so Peter was just thinking through what he knew. And what he knew was that this Messiah wasn't supposed to suffer. And so Peter's failure here is kind of essentially saying, thinking that, God, I know better than you do. Because I know like the Messiah is supposed to come here and their thought was that the Messiah was going to restore the nation of Israel. They were going to raise up this army, kick Rome out, and then they'd be an independent nation again and usher in kind of like the theocracy, kind of like they had with David. That was their hope. That's what they thought was going to happen. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, actually, you're thinking this way right here? Nope, it's actually this way. And so Peter could totally understand and wanted this glorious Messiah, but he couldn't accept the suffering Messiah of what really needed to happen. And Jesus uses this moment right here with Peter, this failure to teach the disciples because they're all thinking the same thing. He tells them, this is the true cost of discipleship. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross and then follow me. What this means is that if we're gonna follow Jesus, we essentially die to ourselves, to our wills, our wants, our desires. And our lives are then lived to please Jesus. And it's kind of like, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. The answer to you is always yes. Whatever you want me to do, I'm there. So again, Peter's failure here was thinking that I know better than you do, Jesus. Let's look at the third episode. This is the denial. It says this in Luke chapter 24, kind of changing places here. Luke chapter 24, verses 54 through 62. And it says this, so they arrested him, that's Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. 
and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this was one of Jesus's followers, but Peter denied it. He says, woman, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Now, this is by far the most epic of Peter's failures. And as I was studying this, this kind of, this truth hit me as well, that there's only one miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And we just alluded to it a minute ago with the feeding of the 5,000. That's recorded in each of the Gospels. This failure of Peter's is also recorded in all of the Gospels. On display for all of us to see, it's been millennia of us reading about this. But here's the thing, Peter denies that he knows Jesus. In this moment, he's scared of what's going to happen. The irony here is that just hours earlier, when Jesus tells them what's gonna happen, they're kind of what's gonna happen to Jesus himself. He's gonna, again, this is the time. They're coming to get me. I'm gonna be crucified. Peter's like, nope, I'm with you. Even to the end, if I have to die, I'm going down with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, it's not gonna happen. In fact, actually, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny that you even know me three times. And Peter's like, it's never gonna happen. But it did. He gets scared. And so he's kind of in the shadows here. Now, the reason why we went to Luke is I think there's a small detail that he includes in here, is that as Peter is denying Jesus for the third time, as he's speaking, the rooster crows. And as he, the crow is speaking, I don't think it entered into his mind what actually happened. It was the moment where Luke tells us that Jesus looked right at him. Their eyes lock. And Peter realizes, what did I just do? the words of Jesus come flooding, flashing into his mind. I just did what Jesus said I was going to do, the very thing that I told him I would never do, yet I'm here and I just did this. So it says that, what did he do? Peter leaves and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. This word bitterly could also be translated violently. That Peter wept violently. We have a saying here, this, this is probably an ugly cry, right? A remorseful, a repentant, I mean, just everything is just flowing, that he's so remorseful, thinking, what have I done? I bet you he's feeling like a failure in that moment. I mean, how can one deny the Messiah? How can one deny the Creator? Can anybody come back from this? Or are we done? Like, is, am I going to be a failure forever and ever and ever? Is that who I am? 
Let's look at how Jesus responds to him because actually we know that, yes, you can come back from this because we're gonna talk here just a little bit about what failure is. So let's look at the recovery. Right, this is the part of the comeback here of Peter. But first is the recovery in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Let's say this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. So that phrasing right there is kind of a formal saying where it would have got everybody's attention. Like, oh, Jesus is about to get serious here. Okay, and everybody's listening in. He says, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John. Again, everybody's leaning in. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Peter got what was going on here. And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So what's going on here? Let's back up just a little bit because after breakfast, they actually ate breakfast together. And what's interesting to note is these guys were out fishing. They went back to what they knew. Peter, I'm sure felt like a failure. I just denied the Messiah. I don't think I can come back from this. So I'm going back to the only thing that I know and that is fishing. Jesus had been crucified. Well, that's it. So they all go back to their trade. And as they see Jesus on the beach here in John 21, they're like, hey, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. And so they kind of bring in and Jesus says, hey, did you catch some fish? Yep, and they start to cook it. What's interesting is that Jesus is using a charcoal fire to cook this. And, one of the, <clears throat> and then what we just looked at, that fire that Peter's using to warm himself is a charcoal fire. And again, this is just interesting is like they say, experts, researchers tell us that the sense of smell is closely tied to memory. So Jesus is, could be bringing Peter here to that moment. And as he's saying this to him, he's restoring Peter. Again, this is the comeback. To say, Peter, I love you. And not only that, a little while earlier, Jesus says to Peter, listen, upon you, this rock, I am going to build my church. Like Jesus had a mission. He had a purpose for Peter. And after Jesus was crucified, after he was in the tomb, Peter's fishing. He's not doing what God wanted him to do. Maybe he felt like he was a failure. So Jesus not only restores him, but he also publicly in front of everybody here reinstates him to that purpose, that mission that Jesus had for Peter. And that's what he is doing here. And so Peter gets it. So again, after the denial and death of Jesus, again, Peter's like, I'm not with you. And now, after Jesus says this to him, he's like, I'm with you. Let's look at the change or the result from this encounter that Peter had with Jesus, kind of like the final comeback. We read in Acts chapter two, we read this. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about what was going on. Like the Holy Spirit had just been bestowed on us. On this movement of the church is getting ready to begin. And as Peter stands up to address the crowds, he'd be starting to become the leader of this movement of what Jesus, this mission that Jesus had for Peter, it begins right here. And not only that, if you were to turn over just a little bit to Acts chapter five, verse 29, 
Peter standing before these religious leaders whom just weeks earlier were the people that he's afraid of. He's afraid that if they know he's with Jesus, they're gonna count him in with them and they're gonna kind of do to him what they're gonna to do to Jesus. He's scared. But now after, again, Jesus restores and reinstates him, we see a different Peter realizing that he is not a failure because Peter and these disciples and these apostles, they were telling the world now about Jesus. And they bring them in and they're kind of ordering them, telling them, you need to shut your mouths. Quit talking about this Jesus. And now look at Peter's response. He says, we must obey God rather than human authority. Like this boldness, where did this come from? It's because of Jesus. Jesus didn't see him as a failure. And so now what? How does this impact our lives today? Here's the bottom line. Failure is not fatal. Failure is not fatal because Jesus is greater than our failures. If we fail, it does not mean the end. Why? Jesus looks past our failures to see the person that he's created us to be. Then when he looks at you, when he looks at me, he doesn't see our mistakes. He doesn't see our failures. He sees the person who he wants us to be. And he, each and every one of us, we have a purpose. We have a mission that he has for us. And that's the person that he sees. See, Jesus rescues us when we fail. Just like he went back and reached out and grabbed Peter and rescued Peter. He restores us when we fail, like he restored Peter. And sometimes if we're not learning the lesson, I think sometimes he has to, at least myself, he has to reprimand me when I fail. So I learn the lessons. But he never holds our failures against us. He never rubs our nose in them. Failure isn't fatal because Jesus is greater than our failures. See, we don't have to stay down when we fail. We don't. We can get back up. We can keep moving forward in confidence, again, to that purpose, the mission that Jesus has called each and every one of us to because of what he's done for us on the cross. You are not a failure. And when we do fail, and maybe some of us in here, we feel like a failure right now. How do we apply this? What is something that we can now do because of this truth of what Jesus has done for us? What we can do is get up. Don't stay down because you're failure, get up. Failure isn't fatal, it's not the end. We can get back up and move forward towards Jesus in confidence, knowing that he loves me, that he's going to forgive me knowing that yes, I'm not perfect, but yes, I may make mistakes and I will fail, but that does not mean I am a failure. Jesus will never hold our failures against us. He doesn't, he won't. It's not fatal. Imagine with me, if we actually lived our lives as if failure was not fatal, how different would they be? How different would your life be if you realized failure isn't fatal, that I am not a failure? How incredibly awesome would it be, our lives, as we live them, as if we realized and we know that our failures do not define us. Your failure doesn't define you. It doesn't define me. But we get up, 
And we keep moving towards Jesus, knowing that he's never gonna stiff arm us. Like, God, I failed, I'm so sorry. He's never gonna say, nope, told you so, forget it. It's never gonna happen. That our lives will be more full. Imagine being able to say to those voices in our heads when we do fail, listen, yes, I make mistakes. Yes, I know I fail, but voice that keeps telling me I'm a failure, I am not. Because Jesus is greater than my failure. Jesus is with me. So I can stand up in the midst of failure and just say, God, I know you're with me. I am not a failure. You are not a failure because failure is not fatal. So let's get up from our failures. Let's keep moving towards Jesus and know that failure isn't fatal. Why? Because Jesus is greater than our failures. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for, again, who you are. We thank you for this, the examples of Peter and God, how you responded to him and his failures to know that you respond to us, Lord, the same way, that you're gonna restore us, you're gonna rescue us, Jesus, from our failures. Help us to understand and know that because of who you are, that when we follow you, we, God, we are not a failure. Help us to understand and know, Lord, that you are so much greater than anything we could ever do. That's included our failures as well. In your name we pray, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.